we're delighted to let you know that the CL Podcasts are officially sponsored by our partners Rice Up. Rice Up, healthy and functional snacks. Hello and welcome to this first edition of Food for Thought, the CL Paris podcast. My name is David Addison and over the next 15 minutes or so, we will take a quick look at some of the latest news as well as digging down deeper into one key topic. We will always need to eat, so farming and food processing will always have a future. But the changes impacting these sectors are huge. At a time of transitions, reinventions and global social responsibility, CL Paris is reaffirming its ambitions by uniting food professionals around the major transformations taking place in the industry. Later, we'll talk to David O'Neill, the CEO of ESMA, the European Sales and Marketing Association, about what the industry has been through and how it has coped over the last two years, plus what the future has in store. But first, let's take a look at some of the food industry headlines this last couple of weeks. Let's start with agri-foods, as the European Union is allocating tens of millions of euros for the promotion of EU-produced sustainable agri-food products. Officials at the European Commission have revealed that they have allocated 185.9 million euros to support practices that will tie in with the European Green Deal. It covers areas such as EU organic products, fruits and vegetables, sustainable agriculture and animal welfare, the Commission said in the statement. These funds will link to multiple initiatives that are part of the European Green Deal, such as the Farm to Fork strategy, through which the EU has set targets to increase to 25% the proportion of EU farmland that is managed organically, and a desire to halve the amount of pesticides used in agriculture. Orivo, a Norwegian company that provides lab services for testing marine ingredients, has been awarded 8.6 million Norwegian kroner to fund a research project to make it easier to determine the type of fish used in aquafeed. The aim of the project is to develop a DNA-based method to accurately indicate which species are present in the feed. Because many fish species naturally eat other fish, marine species are a major ingredient of aquafeed. But with a third of fish reportedly overfished, there is concern that this is putting pressure on fish stocks. To deal with the issue, efforts have been made to cut the amount of fish used in aquafeed, while another approach is to ensure that the fish used is sustainable, and for this, identifying the species present is crucial. In the UK, there are plans to phase out single-use plastic plates, cutlery, expanded and extruded polystyrene cups and food and beverage containers as the government takes tough steps to eliminate plastic waste. The move will impact the provision of throwaway cutlery for ready meals in some supermarkets, as well as cafes and restaurants selling coffee to go. The Environment Secretary, George Eustace, set out a process that will look at the use of these items before a decision is made on any legislation. Estimates suggest that in England alone, 1.1 billion single-use plates and 4.25 billion items of single-use cutlery, mostly plastic, are used per year, but only 10% are ever recycled. According to DEFRA, the UK uses 2.5 billion disposable coffee cups per year. 
There is troubling news for the UK's Food and Drink Federation, which has seen a 23.7% drop in British food and drink exports to the European Union in the first three quarters of 2021. The UK sold £2.4 billion into the 27-member bloc from January to September. Three markets badly hit were sales to Germany, which dropped by 44.5%, to Spain, which fell by 50.6%, and Italy, which dropped by 43%. The ongoing pandemic and the effects of Brexit are being blamed for the fall. On a more positive note, exports of whisky, though, were up by 21%. We'll have more news later, but now let's turn to European industry matters and market trends with David O'Neill, the CEO of ESMA. He spoke to Gemma Scott. So, David, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to have you as part of the very first CL podcast that we've got running. First and foremost, can you just give us an overview of what ESMA is and the importance of the company? ESMA is an organisation that was founded back in 1975. And over the years, what it focused on was bringing distributors together under the umbrella of ESMA. And ESMA stands for the European Sales and Marketing Association. So it's an organisation made up of distributors from, from around Europe. And over the years, it has developed uh, into now what is a global organization. And global organization consists of manufacturers and distributors. So initially distributors and now manufacturers and distributors. And what we do is, is we bring manufacturers and distributors together under the umbrella of ESMA and we promote the development of the relationship between manufacturers and distributors. We don't actually have retailers in our organization because we actually supply retailers. So manufacturers and distributors together, we work in one. And what we do is, is we are a, a global networking organization for business people. ESMA members are made up of either the owners of the companies the CEOs of the companies or the senior directors of, of the companies. So you're networking at a top-to-top -top basis. We are situated across 47 different countries around the world. We have 149 members between manufacturers and distributors in our organization. And we are what we would call an elite organization. There's no organization like us in the world that is involved in the FMCG, the fast-moving commodity goods uh, sector. In joining ESMA, you know, most people get to know us through you know, networking at trade shows or else on our website. Uh, our website contains quite a lot of information in relation to ESMA. And there is a process there where you can apply for a membership. If you do apply, you actually present your credentials to me as the CEO, along with an application form. And that application form and credentials are then circulated to the other seven board members that I have within ESMA. So there's eight of us sit on the board. And between us, we adjudicate as to whether you know a company deserves the membership of ESMA or it's, it's sadly rejected. And if it is rejected, we give the reasons why. 
Oh, it's interesting. It's very interesting. You mentioned there to me as well about some of the events that you're part of. And of course, events are starting to get back up and running. There's a few bumps in the road still with the pandemic and, and what have you and, and the new waves and all sorts hitting. But let's focus on the positives. And uh, what can you tell us of some of the exciting news that's coming out of these, these events? Well, we held our ESMA annual conference on the 16th of September. 2021 in the beautiful city of Prague in the Czech Republic. And at that convention, we had a total of 120 ESMA delegates attended from 21 countries around the world. And there were 54 of our members in total who actually attended. What we experienced with with the, the convention and the trade shows is our industry really, really was very, very successful during COVID. We're in the food industry, the health and beauty, household and healthcare. You know, our challenge as an organization and our members was to keep product on the shelves for our consumers. Yeah. And I'll give you I'll give you an, an example, Gemma. One of our members is Barilla, Barilla Pasta, biggest pasta producer in the world. You have a situation whereby the, the Barilla brothers, of which there's three, decided that you know they could not keep up with production during normal working hours, and asked their their staff, not not demanded from their staff, but asked their staff, would they go the distance in terms of turning around and working overtime in order to be able to fulfil the orders, and like an organisation like Barilla's. Every single employee rose to the challenge and Barilla ended up producing pasta 24 hours a day, seven days a week to meet the demands of their consumers. We discovered that people could no longer travel. You had consumers based at home, you know, the whole family. So they were cooking breakfast, lunch and evening meal. And after a period of time, menu fatigue started to to uh, evolve so you you then had consumers who went into their local supermarkets and walked down aisles that they had never walked down before in their lives so they're walking down the aisle for chinese food indian food pasta you know sort of uh you know trying all you know mexican just trying different foods that they would have never had before just to try and get rid of this menu fatigue. They traveled through the supermarket and through their kitchen instead of traveling through countries. They experienced the cuisine of the countries that they couldn't actually visit owing to COVID and uh, lack of flights. It's really interesting, actually, and it's a lovely to hear about the positives out of COVID, of the, the industry really growing and, and thriving. And I believe by 2023, we're expecting online grocery shopping to keep growing and hit a potential 66% turnover growth in Europe. And I think that's, you know, looking at the trends of how people are shopping as well, taking safety into account. They've been doing their online food shopping. Do you think that the online shopping is something that we have to adapt for or, or do we have to prepare for this growth in any way or is the industry there already? Our insights indicate to us that COVID 
has actually somersaulted online shopping five years ahead of where it, it should be. You have consumers now who traditionally always went to the shop. They no longer have to do that. And I have to say, to, to be fair, you know, the the, the supermarkets, the, the online shopping, uh, you know, sort of networks that are there, they got their act together as well and, and smartened up their businesses so that consumers could actually, you know, place an order and have it delivered within 30 minutes to their house. Phenomenal. The, the stigma that was always a uh, you know, sort of aligned to online shopping, and especially for groceries, was oh God, if I bought you know a, a carton of cream, it, it may only have two days shelf life on it. We 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 get we get the worst, you know, of if I went into the shop myself, I could get probably eight or nine days. That's not the case. The online shopping, you know, sort of providers would always give you the freshest produce and 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 the, the best produce they can give to you because they need your business you know to be repetitive and online shopping is growing and is, is growing exponentially at this moment in time well it certainly seems that we are transitioning through another period that there is change on the horizon which brings me nicely to the cl theme for 2022 in mind of own the change david just one final thing I want to ask you, what would be your advice to people listening to this? Or what can they implement today to make a positive change for tomorrow and the future? What's required is we all need to work together to work our way through this. And it's very easy for me to say that, not having any suffering through it uh, from, 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 a, from a personal point of view. But a lot of suffering has taken place by families. Mm. And, you know, whether we like it or not, um, I believe, you know, it's here to stay, uh, this pandemic, and we, we need to live with it. And, you know, what we also need to do is, is stay positive, you know, respect social space, uh, respect each other. And, uh, you know, we have to get on with life. You know, life life is is important and we, we all need to travel. We, we all need to be out and about, but we now need to do it in a managed way. Mm. But e equally, we, we have a situation where organisations like Cial and and you know what they the events they put together they are so important to us as an industry because we are always looking for NPD within our sector and you know Cial is one of these launch pads for any NPD that's coming in, into the global market and. All of our members attend Cial. They have to because it's such an important uh, exhibition, you know, that happens once every two years within within Europe, and uh, it's an important and must attend event. But you know, it, it's from events like Cial that that we can take positivity out that we will get through this pandemic. But the grocery industry is always going to be around. And we clearly demonstrated that through the very, very dark times of COVID. You know, our brands were available worldwide to our consumers, thanks to the incredible turnaround that our manufacturers done in terms of, you know, having availability of their products wherever, whenever, 
and however the consumer wanted to purchase them. Which is exactly what we need. David, it's so nice to have chatted to you and have you as part of the podcast today. Thank you very, very much for your time and your insight into the industry, the current market trends, and of course, giving us more information about your company, Esma. Fascinating stuff. And isn't it refreshing to hear good news coming out of the industry? Let's hope that there is plenty more positivity in the new year. Rice Up are the official partners of the CL podcast. Rice Up, healthy and functional snacks. Now, let's have a look at a little more industry news. Think Amazon, think online shopping, but perhaps no more. The company is embarking on a programme of expansion of Amazon Fresh with the proposed launch of high street stores, some of which will be in continental Europe and the UK. There are 260 planned for the UK alone as Amazon aims to wrestle market share away from Tesco, Sainsbury's, Asda and Morrison's. There will be 60 stores opening in 2022, 100 in 2023, and a further 100 in 2024, all without cashiers. Short of ideas for dinner tonight? Then how about locusts? They have become the second insect to be approved by the European Commission for Human Consumption. The use of insects as an alternative source of protein is not new, and insects are regularly eaten in many parts of the world, the Commission said. Eaten as a snack or an ingredient in food, locusts are sold in frozen, dried or powdered form. With frozen and dried forms, wings and legs are usually removed to make the creatures easier to digest. Approval for the consumption of migratory locusts, known scientifically as Locusta migratoria, was granted after a Dutch company, Fair Insects BV, requested permission to begin selling locusts in the EU. And finally, Starbucks has announced it will team up with the farm-owned dairy cooperative Arla for a three-year pilot scheme in the UK in a bid to reduce its carbon footprint. Dairy emissions count for 22% of Starbucks' global carbon emissions, and the company will work with 14 Arla farmers in the UK to identify innovative new farming practices and industry-leading methods to significantly reduce the emissions associated with dairy production. Well, that's it for this first edition of the CL podcast. Join us in the new year for more news and discussion from the European food industry. But for now, from me, David Addison, goodbye.